I'm your co-host Courtney Jones and I'm your co-host Clara Takefield. We're both co-founders of the Feminist Law Project and final year law students who are very passionate about feminism and the law. Today on the podcast we have our first guest Hannah Bruno, a fellow final year law student, former events manager of Peer Equality Extra. Hannah, would you please like to introduce yourself? Hello, um, I'm Hannah. Um, as Clara said, I'm in my final year of my law degree. Um, and we're here in France. I also was the events manager for Period Poverty at Exeter um, and one of the directors because it was very new last year. It was our first proper year being Guild affiliated and that was what I was, that's what I was in charge of. Wonderful. So um, could you tell us a little bit more about Period Poverty Exeter? So what does Period Poverty do? What's your mission? Well, so we were a non-profit organization, um, student-led organization. We mainly focused on spreading awareness about period poverty. Um, whilst our main focus was period poverty, it was also, we were talking about taboos around menstruation um, and that sort of thing. We had joint lectures as well as events. Our main, um, our main thing that we did last year, our main sort of project was uh, working with um, collecting sanitary products for Ukraine and for the Ukraine appeal, uh, which is still ongoing this year. Um, and we actually won an award for the best new society for things that we did throughout the uni. So putting pressure for new uh, for free sanitary products in the university, um, but mainly it was spreading awareness and it was getting people to talk about menstruation and period poverty and what that what that really means because a lot of people don't really know what period poverty actually means as a concept. So can you maybe expand on that a little bit more what what exactly is period poverty? So period poverty is essentially not having the means to afford sanitary products when menstruating. So one in ten girls the current statistics in the UK is that one in ten girls don't go to school when they're on their period because they can't afford sanitary products. And, you know, that's just looking at schoolgirls. It goes throughout, you know, many demographics. Um, and so period poverty is, yes, essentially that is not being able to have sanitary products when you're on your period. That sounds really interesting. And thank you for sharing all of that, Hannah. Um, can I ask about the legal side? So um, how would you say that the pink tax would influence, for example, period poverty? Um, and for example, if we were to make free sanitary products available in schools, um, do you think this would have a positive impact? I mean, absolutely, because if you see, as I said, those statistics, one in one in 10 girls not going to school. And I mean, if you think about how much of school then they will miss and that extends, you know, where we were all at university, having free sandwich products in university buildings was I mean, it was one of the main things that we wanted in that was in our manifesto for the year. We put a lot of pressure on the university. And, you know, you've got Scotland, for example, they uh, put in legislation that free sanitary products needed to be available in schools, you know, already creating a massive difference. And you can see other, you know, institutions like universities taking this on board um, and getting involved with that. But, you know, it's a, it's a massive, massive difference that it makes. Because, I mean, I think about how much you spend every month on sanitary products. Um, etc. And if you know when, if with that comes a degree of shame surrounding your period, you know maybe you're younger, maybe your family doesn't talk about it, maybe you're not learning about it. It filters down into all these different, you know, parts of your lives that 
are equally important. Um, but yeah, so that was the main, that's the main thing that our focus was based on. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned quite a bit about um, the shame associated with periods. I mean, I remember being like a 12-year-old girl and getting my period for the first time and being worried about bleeding through my clothes. So do you want to maybe talk about that a little bit more and why there's still such a shame associated with menstruation and why girls still need to worry about, you know, kind of like the monthly bleed and a bit more about the Com stigma? Yeah, completely. I mean, so ironically, not ironically, you know, one of the first events that we did last year was um, we had a sort of games night pizza party event and it was BYOB. So bring your own booze, but also bring your own boy. Because if we think about it, a lot of the shame is coming from external sources where it's a lack of understanding. And I think that's one of the main things that we need to tackle because when, you know, if you've got people sort of saying, oh, but that's disgusting. Or, you know, you got, I mean, I grew up in a family where, you know, I've got two brothers and a father and my mum, it would be a very sort of hushed, you know, surreptitiously teaching me about tampons. Like I remember dropping a tampon in an exam once in GCSEs and, you know, and no one would stop talking about it. There's intense shame when it comes um, to periods. But I think when the shame is not only because, you know, it's something icky and disgusting seen as, it's when that then becomes dangerous as well. And when, this, that shame leads to harm I think that's also something that really needs to be talked about more yeah I mean talking about um fathers I remember my own dad sending me into the pharmacy and waiting in the car so he would yes. give me cash no exactly yeah because I mean he was embarrassed to be seen with somebody buying period products so that absolutely mm -hmm. I mean obviously like as I became more of a feminist and taught him more he's he's not like that now but yeah um I want to I want to go into a little bit about the harm and the danger associated with the stigma and maybe bring in a little bit of a, a global perspective. So could you kind of maybe explain what you mean with that? Yeah, completely. I mean, so in a lot of cultures, being on your period isn't just seen, as I said, as this sort of icky, disgusting thing. It's actually seen as, you know, you maybe you bring bad luck to your family, to your community, you're dirty, you're untouchable in a way. So, I mean, I experienced it firsthand. I was in Nepal for two and a half months um, where they have a practice that's called Chopadi. And it's practiced in quite a lot of territories in Northern India and sort of Western Nepal. And what essentially the practice teaches is that on your, when women are menstruating, they are bad luck to their communities, to their families. In extreme communities, um, women, when they're menstruating, aren't allowed in the house. They sleep in a hut separate the entirety of the time that they're menstruating in less sort of strict households you know there's certain utensils that you use when you're cooking cleaning that kind of thing I only noticed it was going on because you know I went to go into the kitchen I was staying in a homestay I went to go into the kitchen to help and you know and I got shooed out the kitchen and I had to sit outside and eat because I was dirty because I was menstruating and I was a guest and you know treated with respect but that I was still not allowed um, and my ama the woman who was looking after me she just disappeared for five days and we didn't put two and two together until afterwards and you know whilst that can seem not dangerous per se there's been cases of rapes of murders of women and girls who are in essentially banished to these huts and you know and again the the shame that must come with that you know you are not allowed to do 
anything. Yeah. And I mean, you kind of experienced that firsthand being shooed out of the kitchen. So like when, yeah. when you experienced that, I mean, that was a bit of a taste of how these women must feel on a daily basis. So how did you feel when that happened? I just, it, it, first of all, it felt bizarre to me because, you know, where, whilst there is a great degree of shame and, and taboo still for us, there isn't that level where, you know, we would all talk to each other about our periods and we talk to each other about cramps and, you know, and as you said with your father, you know, becoming more feminist, I am very outspoken about it. But when I was in Nepal, it wasn't a case that you could even make statements like that. It was genuinely, you, it was just shut down. It was disgusting. You were bad luck. And it was very definitive. And it did make me feel like I was disgusting like something that was happening to me that I couldn't help made me disgusting. And also, you know, on your period, you're not feeling your best anyway. Um, and I was away from home and yeah, it was, just, it was a really, really horrible experience. Mm -hmm. And you can't imagine how those women and girls feel as well. Um, and it's, and this is a thing that happens every month for a, a large part of their lives. And I guess the last kind of follow-up question I have to that is, are, are there sort of, you know, campaigns to end these, these period huts? And so I haven't in the pool, I didn't experience any, I did, I have since done research about it. In the pool, there is sort of, it's very much something that happens in rural communities. So say in some of the large cities like Kathmandu, for example, I had a friend who I was in, um, so I was in a rural community in the Gurkha region. And one of the girls I was with was from Kathmandu and she found the practice bizarre. She said, this is not what would happen in Kathmandu. So in it's it's very much something that happens more in the rural communities, but that's, and but there's not really a push to end it because it, no one from the city is really going to these rural communities. In India, however, there has been legislation passed um, to do with women menstruating, being allowed in religious buildings. There were riots about that because you know again it's the dirty aspect of being on your period um but I haven't seen really any campaigns to end um the actual practice of Chopadi. I was going to say it must be really horrible and isolating for these women who obviously suffer um from the consequences of these period hearts but equally as you said these period hearts only really exist in the rural areas so you almost think maybe they don't know any different maybe they don't know that this is not common practice in yeah. other areas of the world um, so do you think that perhaps, as Courtney mentioned, obviously protests and campaigns are not really a thing, um, but do you think maybe introducing legislation in the area could help or at least raise awareness about the issue and sort of boost for a better future for these women and, you know, change things for future generations because the period huts are just horrible? Yeah, well, I mean, so interesting, when I was there and my sort of reason for being in this community was that we were teaching about sanitation. So we were building pumps, but I was also teaching girls how to make sanitary pads out of scrap material and that kind of thing. So then we were getting conversations going, we were talking, the head of the women's committee in this village um, she was a young woman, she was 26, already had three kids, she was called Absura, she was incredible. So, so intelligent, you know, you know that she would have run a country had circumstances been different. And um, I remember talking to her about the issues to do with periods and saying, you know, is this what you want for your daughters? And her saying, no, it's not what we want and that kind of thing, but what can we do? And when it, yeah, as you say, these rural communities quite often, it is a sort of quite a self 
they're quite a sort of like self-contained entity. So legislation, I don't think it would really reach. I think raising awareness would. Um, but then as we say, as you say, you know, you never know because in India with this legislation being passed about women going into re uh, religious buildings, even when they're menstruating, that's then a cultural shift. And whilst there's riots and there's pushback and that kind of thing, it is a cultural shift. So I think when it comes to these period huts, I don't know if legislation would actually hit to the degree, but maybe it would then filter if there was then awareness spread as well. Yeah, that would be. You make a very good point. I think it is just important to keep the conversation flowing and open. Completely. And even amongst ourselves, we don't even live anywhere near Nepal um, or these regions in India. But I think it's very important to raise awareness, especially for when people go out there and travel to know what to expect, but also to maybe think about what they could be telling the local community yeah. about it and the impact they might be having on them. All I would say is take a menstrual cup. <laughs> Good God, take a menstrual cup. Um, like any traveling that you're doing, anything, honestly, it will save your life. There we have it. So yeah. Some menstruation advice. Make sure you buy one of those menstrual cups. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant advice. Um, I was wondering, Hannah, um, how can our listeners get involved with period poverty if they wanted to get involved, whether that is an expert or elsewhere across the country? Right. Well, there are actually so many ways to get involved. Um, there's so Exeter obviously have period poverty Exeter. Um, they're period poverty X on Instagram, Facebook, um, but lots of universities and other institutions have similar branches and that kind of thing. We worked with a charity called Sanitary. Um, they're absolutely brilliant, really great to get involved. And there's ways, you know, you can get involved by donating sanitary products. You can organize a, you know, a drive. Um, as I said, we worked a lot for um, getting sandwich products out to the Ukraine. The way that we did that was work very closely. We just did our research about local, you know, I think it was a local church that was sending things out to the Ukraine and we got sandwich products from the university to the church, sent them out. Um, Bloody Good Period, another great platform to just start talking about period poverty, wider issues to do with menstruation. Um, there's something everywhere, there really is, and these all these um, you know, Instagram handles and that kind of thing, they all then have different branches. Um, but there are, those are sort of the main ones that I would, and if you're at university and there isn't one, there's your opportunity. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I think you've covered it then, Hannah. Um, so thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. If you have any suggestions for this podcast, let us know directly via email at contact at feministlaw.org. Please also visit our website at feministlaw.org and follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn to keep up to date with our latest articles, podcasts, newsletters, and exciting news. The music for this podcast was sourced from pixabay.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.